Hi, this is Mike Cobb and Culture Matters. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to another episode of the Culture Matters podcast on international business. We are currently on episode number 133. Subscribing to this podcast would really help uh, me and other people find this podcast a lot faster, and you can spread the word about intercultural management and cultural competence as well. Today's guest is Michael Cobb. And after success in the computer industry, Michael formed ECI Development in 1996. This residential resort development company owns projects in Belize, Nicaragua, Costa Rica and Panama, including 5 miles of beachfront, 4,000 acres, golf course, hotels and residential properties. Michael contributes professionally on matters concerning international real estate, finance and development. He serves on the board of several multinational companies, charitable foundations, and is a past international director of the National Association of Realtors. Michael and his wife Carol lived as expats, raising two daughters overseas from 2002 till 2016. Let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Hi, Mike. Good morning or uh, good evening or good afternoon. I have no idea where you are, actually, and neither does the audience. Um, well, I'm outside of Washington, D.C. in a little town in called Shepherdstown, West Virginia. So it's uh, 8.30 in the morning for me right now. Okay. It's, uh, yes. It is 2.30 at this place here. We're recording this on uh, January 14, 2020. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike, if you want, and where do you come from? Where are you now that, that you have revealed already in Washington? Washington State or, or Washington, D.C., you said? I'm sorry, Washington, D.C. area. I'm about 90 miles west in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, it's a beautiful place to to be. It's It uh, gets me quick access to Dulles Airport if I need to be on a plane, which I am pretty frequently. And mm-hmm. um, uh, But, you know, it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's interesting, uh, Chris. You know, we, we moved here back in 2000 thinking we would raise our family here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife's from Arlington, Virginia. I'm from the Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, we were here for a couple years and then ended up moving to Managua, Nicaragua for 14 years. Uh, the first three were for work. The next uh, 11 were by choice. We decided to stay there because, again, I just my, my job's phone, Internet and airport travel. Um, so we stayed another 11 years and uh, three years ago came back to Shepherdstown, it's a beautiful little historic community right on the Potomac River, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know it, it's uh, it, it's it's nice to be back in many ways, uh, and and I have some thoughts on on the you know the back and forth and what that does for 
cultural awareness, but we can get to that later. I, you know, I, that, that's maybe enough about me at this point. <laughs> okay, well, that's a that's a pretty um, uh, extensive introduction already. You said um, 14 years in uh, South America or Central America. Uh, how did you end up there? You said work, but how how does one end up from the U.S. as a as a gringo in well, Central America? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, sometimes I ask that question of myself. You know, I was uh, in the computer business after college in the in Washington, D.C. area, Northern Virginia. And uh, a buddy of mine from college called me up about, uh, I don't know, six years, seven years after graduation and said, hey, Mike, you know, I was sitting at my desk in the computer company. He goes, hey, Mike, uh, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, you want to go to Belize with me? And I'm like, absolutely. But this is <laughs> but this is prior to Google. And in my head, I had no idea where Belize was. You know, I, it was British Honduras when I was in high school and studied it that way. But anyway, so, you know, a couple of days later, I'm on an airplane to Belize, had a great time. And uh, I told my friend Joel, I said, hey, Joel, next time you come back, let me know. I'd, I'd love to, to come back again. And so I don't know, a few months later, he's headed back to do some more work. And and I go with him and end up buying a, a condo there. He and I both each bought uh, condos. And uh, started a little business renting them out. But what we quickly saw, Chris, which was amazing, was this incredible hole in the marketplace. There was no financing. We, we, we paid full, you know, full payment for our condos. But because we were willing to you know, wire the entire amount uh, and we didn't need financing, the developer gave us a 20 percent discount on the price. Hmm. And, and what we found out was is most developers – were financing the sales of their properties because, you know, a bank in the States wouldn't lend you money as a, you know, U.S. citizen mm -hmm. and a bank in Belize wouldn't lend the foreigner money. So we ended up starting a little mortgage company. The mortgage company grew, grew, grew. We, uh, we brought in some professionals to uh, turn it into a bank and we, we ended up uh, with a bank in Belize uh, that, you know, I'm on the board. I don't have anything really to do with it, management committee, but um, but uh, but we started seeing development opportunities as well mm -hmm. and uh, started a development company in 1996 and then our first property in Belize, then our big property in Nicaragua. Uh, and when it was time for somebody to be boots on the ground, uh, that was my role. So uh, I packed up my wife, uh, uh, my two year old daughter. We moved to Nicaragua for what we thought would be two, three years. Um, and again, just ended up loving it so much. We had a second daughter who came along and. And uh, it was it was a great place to raise a family and a great place to live. Uh, and, uh, you know, we uh, you know, and we now we now work in Belize, Nicaragua, Costa Rica and Panama uh, and pretty shortly uh, Argentina, Ecuador as well. So, yeah, we, we are in Central America with expansion plans down to uh, South America uh, professionally. But um, but personally, uh, just like you, you, you've spent a lot of time in Guatemala. Um, you know, it, the bug has bit us, um, me, myself, my wife, my my girls. In fact, over Christmas, we decided not to uh, buy presents. We decided we would take a family vacation back to Nicaragua and went down for, for 10 days and, and just really enjoyed being back in the country. I can, I can yeah. imagine. What, what's the um, – why you – uh, why, why Nicaragua in, in the first place? Uh, why, because there, I mean, there are a couple of countries around. Is, we're looking at the south or any country south from um, Mexico, I think is called Central America, up yeah. until including Panama, if I'm not mistaken. And why did you end up in Nicaragua uh, in, and in the capital? And why is that a great place to raise children? Isn't that like dangerous and all? <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous. 
Um, you know, every city in the world is dangerous, depending on where you are and what time of day. My, you know, my mom always told me if you're you're home in bed at midnight, um, you're probably not getting into very much trouble. Um, I think that's that's true no matter where in the world you are. Um, also, you know, crime is local, right? I mean, every city has bad neighborhoods. Every city has nice neighborhoods. Yeah. And you just need to be, you know, smart about wh- where you live, where you go, what you do, and, and, you know, what time you get home from, you know, from into bed, right? So, uh, but, you know, we, uh, you know, our company, because we started in Belize and we, we looked for property in Belize, we, we explored all over the region. We ended up buying a very large property in Nicaragua in the year 2000. It's uh, three and a half miles of beach. Uh, the property is about a mile deep, and and so it's twenty. Yeah, it's huge. It's twenty five hundred acre. Uh, it was a cattle farm uh, uh-huh. on, on the Pacific Ocean, and uh, we bought it. We we kind of sat on it for a couple years, started our master planning. But in two thousand two, uh, it was time to get down there and start to you know actually hire you know you know the the contractors to come in because it was it was out in the middle of nowhere. It was remote. It was twenty seven kilometers from the nearest electricity. So we ran the electric 27 kilometers through the countryside. We put in roads, water, sewer, uh, uh, telecommunication systems. I mean, basically we mm-hmm. built a small town yeah. uh, by the sea. And and so that was the boots on the ground part that you know I needed to be there for. Mm-hmm. But by 2005, uh, early 2006, um, you know, we'd hired a chief operating officer. I had architects, engineers. I had, you know, the accounting staff, marketing. So we we built the team uh, in Managua. And 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 to answer your question about why Managua, um, you know, if if you want to build a team of of professionals, it's hard to do it. I mean, you can do it in some of the other major cities, say, you know, maybe Masaya, Matagalpa, Esteli, but but outside of the the major cities, it, it's hard to find, you know, engineering professionals and accounting professionals and IT people. Uh, especially who are bilingual because our customer base is North American. So mm-hmm. most of our staff is fully bilingual. Um, and so Managua was, you know, a place that we could build the team. Now our properties an hour West on the Pacific coast. Um, but you know, we have a team out there as well. That's the hospitality resort team, but the corporate offices are in Managua. Um, and, and why it's a great place to raise a family. You know, we, uh, uh, we had all the activities. I mean, people think, oh, Nicaragua, you know, third world and, and you know, and, oh, it's dangerous and all those kind of cliche things. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, m- my girls had dance. Uh, in fact, they, they danced with Nicaragua's prima ballerina, which is incredible. I mean, she she got, you know, she retired at the age of 30. She got old, right, for ballerinas. Yeah. And so so at 30, she started her own school. And my girls danced with her for, for the entire time we were there. I mean, this woman danced, you know, w- went to Cuba and trained, danced with the Bolshoi. I mean, like she's 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 top notch. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's incredible is the girls danced with her uh, every day, like uh, six days a week, uh, probably three, four, five hours most days. And the entire price per kid per month was sixty five dollars. <laughs> Chris, yeah. sixty five dollars a month for I don't know how many hours it is, 100 hours, 25 times yeah, you know, four. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, hundred hours for sixty-five dollars, right? And this is Nicaragua's prima ballerina. But you know, and and, and they had Girl Scouts. Uh, I mean, think about that. I mean, people think Girl Scouts in Nicaragua. Yeah, the girls were Girl Scouts, right? Um, and and we sent them to a German school, uh, so they would go to school in Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, pick a, a quote-unquote second language, which was German, and we spoke English at home, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so, but there's an American school, there's a French school, there's, you know, a bunch of, you know, there's Christian schools. I mean, so there's a whole range of, of, of schooling available, but we wanted our girls to go to school in Spanish so that they, you know, they learn that as a primary language. Mm -hmm. German is a bonus, right? Yeah. And then, and then English at home. So, uh, for just a lot of reasons, Managua was a, was a great place. And, you know, and, and in the 14 years we lived there, zero incidents of any kind of uh, what I would call major crime. Mm -hmm. We had a guard jump over our fence one time and steal some of my pants off the clothesline drying. Um, and I think we had a piece of patio furniture taken off the back porch one time in 14 years. So, I mean, <laughs> nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. That's all, all a good experience. Out of, just out of curiosity, why did you do, or did you not, or do you not include, uh, Guatemala in your, um, in your offerings? Um, you know what? There's no reason to not include it. In fact, I'm a huge fan of, of Guatemala. I've spent time in Guatemala City and also in uh, Antigua. Mm -hmm. um, and I would think that, that, uh, some place in Guatemala in the future probably will end up uh, on the ECI uh, you know, list of properties, but we just we just uh, kind of we focus on what's on our plate. Mm -hmm. And right now we've got uh, we've got an, uh, two acquisitions in Panama on our plate. Uh, for uh, kind of interesting, one of them is going to be a uh, libertarian, uh, you know, philosophical community. The the, the 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 gentleman that had originally bought the property and begun development wanted to build out a a community of you know like minded individuals. Uh, which is a very interesting concept, uh, kind of ran out of steam and we've stepped in uh, to become the developer in that that property. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got that on our front burner. Argentina, we've got uh, we want to do a vineyard community. Um, but the uh, the area in and around Antigua is is and has been a, a, a target location for for many years, Chris. Mm -hmm. So keep, keep an eye out. I, I think you you <laughs> probably see something in Guatemala here in the next you know three, four, five years. Okay, that's good, excellent. Yeah. If, in, in your experience, having lived there for fourteen years, what um, if you consider Central America being Guatemala uh, all the way south? Uh, what is it? Nica uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua, yeah. Honduras, um, Costa Rica, and, pa and Panama. Looking yeah. at Central America, how how would you differentiate any of the of the cultural differences, if there are any? Well, you know, there there are actually, and um, you know, it, it it's nuanced. Let me just say that it, it's definitely not you know big stark cultural changes, um, but a lot of it I think has to do with uh, the, the the level of development. Let me just say it that way. I, 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 sometimes I get in trouble for not being politically correct, but I, I don't know how else to say it. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. so anyway. It's yeah, the level of development, right? A country like Costa Rica that's been really an expat um, destination for, you know, 40, 50 years. I mean, almost as long as Mexico. Mexico really got the jump on it and was the first U.S.-Canadian expat destination. But but quickly thereafter, Costa Rica kind of came in and became the, you know, the ecotourism uh, destination for, for expats. Uh, and, and what we find in Costa Rica is a much more – expensive. Um, we, we work there, by the way. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's a higher end. It's a more expensive, but it's also a less tolerant to say it. Maybe it's a less tolerant society uh, than, say, Nicaragua, which I actually find to be uh, the most welcoming and open society. I and mean, people people when they give you their phone number and say, call them, we would love to have you over. Like they really mean it. I mean, please call them and go over because that's what they really want you to do. Whereas I think in Maybe in Costa Rica or Panama, it, it's more of a social graces, right, where somebody says that, but I'm not sure they mean it. I'm sure they do sometimes, sometimes they don't, right? Mm -hmm. but, um, uh, you know, 
across the board, one of the things that, that I found challenging as a uh, U.S. citizen, I think uh, folks from Canada might also find it difficult. I don't know how Europeans, in fact, I'm going to turn the table if it's okay and ask you a question uh-huh. in a second. Um, but, you know, the class system is very, very uh, uh, apparent and pronounced in Central and South America. And, 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 and in some countries, you have bigger middle classes than in others. Panama, probably of all the countries, has the largest middle class. Um, you know, Costa Rica has a decent sized middle class. But but the class system still exists, um, you know, it, it truly as as in, you know, like blue blood heredity, heredity matters. Right. And it's a it's a very different cultural uh, feel for someone coming out of North America where, you know, last name's not particularly important. It's, it's more of a you know meritocracy or you know, it's it's you know, it, it, it's it's certainly a lot less class structured, although I think people would argue that maybe the U.S. is moving into a class system. Um, but historically and philosophically, uh, it has not been that. Um, out of curiosity, like so you I mean, you, you spent a lot of time in Guatemala over the years. Um, you're from Europe. But Europe, you know, obviously originally had a very strong class system. I don't know that it's, you know, still as strong as it was, but but the foundations there were were, were class based. Um, and does that matter? Do you do you sense that when you go to Guatemala? Do you, do you find that to be a, a cultural kind of like pause or or not? I, I, or or what would you say most Europeans? Maybe not you specifically, but can you generalize on a European, for example? I'm just curious. Are you asking me a question about how things are in Europe or how things are in my perception in terms of uh, how Guatemaltecos look at Europeans? Well, I, I guess what I'm maybe wondering more is when a European who's kind of more familiar with the class system, mm-hmm. you know, culturally comes to Latin America and experiences the class mm-hmm. culture, do you think that's as big an impact as it is for U.S.? I, I can tell you that. For many of our customers and many of the people I've spoken to over the last you know two and a half decades, the culture, uh, the the culture shock. Let me just say it that way. It's cliche, but anyway, the culture shock of the class system tends to smack U.S. Uh, folks in the face pretty hard in many cases. And I'm just curious if that is also true of Europeans. Um, or, or not? I don't know. Maybe you don't know. I'm just just yeah, sort of that's yeah. Well, what, yeah. my what I see, what my experience is as well. If I've, I've spent some time, some time with um, uh, Guatemalan families as well, and the thing that um, the thing that we don't that you don't do in the U.S. that we don't do in uh, in Europe either is the the system of mates having a mate or one or two mates actually. Um, and uh, if you and and for me this this. It, the word slavery is totally uh, totally inappropriate here because these people have a job etc uh but they what what strikes me is that um they're all um i haven't seen an exception to that they're all from mayan background and um i think the 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 mayans and i could be totally out of line here but i think the mayans are tend to be the the lowest class whereby the the western or the white europeans or north americans tend to be the higher class whereby yeah. maybe even uh, Europeans are seen somewhat higher than uh, than Americans because Americans are gringos and when when they look at me I got blonde hair uh, blonde grayish hair and I look like a the typical chapin Guatemalan word is, is canche so they look at me and they say hola canche uh, like hey hello blondie and they think I'm a gringo and when I say I'm not a gringo and when I do speak some Spanish with them, they realize I'm that I'm not American. 
And then somehow their attitude seems to change as well. Um, it's, so, so maybe that's, that's one aspect. And the other aspect that struck me as well, if you look at the advertising and, and I'm not sure how that is in, in other parts of, uh, of Central and Central and South America, the advertising, the billboards, et cetera, always display, um, white Caucasian people in terms of, uh, using products or, uh, selling a bank or whatever kind of, whatever product is being sold. It, it is nine out of 10. It is, uh, it's not a local. It's certainly not a Mayan, but it, it tends to be a Caucasian person. That makes any, any sense to you? It, it, it does. In fact, we noticed that as well. I mean, um, yeah. So it's, yeah, I think you're right on the money there. And, and I appreciate the, the, the insights because, you know, it is something that I try to pay attention to. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, Chris, because I said that we, we paid attention to it as a family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the things that was kind of interesting, um, and, and in fact, I'm going to bring up a, a Star Trek reference here. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the the Star Trek movies, the the original ones with Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, right? The old Star Trek movies. Uh-huh. Um, but in I think it's number three. Uh, you know, Spock dies, and they send him down to this Genesis planet, and the planet uh, rejuvenates. Right, that's the whole idea of the Genesis planet. Well, in the next movie, they they come back to to get Spock. Right, and he you know, and he, he comes back up to the ship, and he's talking to the Doctor uh, McCoy, and uh, and and Bones says to Spock, he says, "Hey, Spock, what what's it like to be dead?" And Spock's answer, this is incredible. No, and, and I love Spock's answer. Spock's answer, and I use this a lot in, in when I'm trying to describe culture to folks. Spock's answer is, well, doctor, without a common frame of reference, there's no way you can understand. Mm-hmm. And the thing about culture is that it's like a fishbowl, to pick out a different analogy. If you're a goldfish in a fishbowl, your whole world is that fishbowl. And there's no reason for you to even think or assume or even imagine that there's another fishbowl or there's another kind of culture, right? You're just in this water, right? Yep. But, but, you know, but, but our girls, right, had two fishbowls, right? So when we were in Nicaragua, we were in the Nicaragua fishbowl and we would look at things there and, and, and we would do things different at home maybe. And, and the girls would say, well, why do they do that? And we did, well, it's a different culture, honey. This is how they do it in Nicaragua. We do it different in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And then when we we're in the U.S., we'd see things and we'd say, oh, well, but that's how they do it in Nicaragua. Isn't that cool? Or whatever it was, right? And so because because the girls have two fishbowls, they now have a conscious recognition of culture, right, which is powerful because as long as it's subconscious, when we don't know that we're imbibed and, and, and surrounded by this thing called culture, with super subconscious, right? Yeah. Um, and, and all of a sudden now this – this this thing called consciousness you know brings culture to the forefront and you can actually talk about it and see it it's a powerful powerful i'd say life change life changer game changer uh for for people because it it just opens up a whole nother level of of understanding and and that that i think's powerful mm-hmm. and and so honestly when 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 i saw your 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 the title uh, when Mikkel introduced us and I saw the title of your podcast Culture Matters, um, it, it does. I mean, it absolutely matters. Um, it, it's it's just that it's hard to get a recognition of what that means unless you have a common frame of reference or or an alternate, maybe an alternate frame of reference, right? I mean, when we get outside of our culture and see another one, we can look back at ours. 
Um, if we choose to, right, we can look back at ours critically. We can look at the new one critically and see what the differences are and why some of our just basic assumptions are just simply that. They're assumptions. They're not facts, right? They're just the way we do things. But but that doesn't make them factual. It just makes them the way we do things. So anyway, just some some neat stuff that we as a family really experienced and and, and truly enjoyed talking about as a family as well. It, it it certainly changed the dynamic of you know of dinner time discussions. So yeah, I can, I can imagine that. In in terms of of talking about this um, and segueing to, to something that was on my mind, raising children there um, bilingual eventually. I guess they will they will still st- speak some Spanish, if not fluently as well. Um, how much yeah. of how much of this this culture did your kids pick up from being going to a well a German school but a, predominantly Spanish in a Spanish environment but with yeah. with American parents? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. That's that's a very good question. Um, except to say that because well, actually, it's interesting that the German school in Managua um, is largely a middle class school. It's kind of new money. It's not the old money. The old money parents either sent their kids to the American school um, or the uh, one of the, the, the big Catholic school, San Agustin, um, which were the two sort of upper class. Well, the San Agustin was certainly the, the high upper class school uh, the the American school uh, for, for that American curriculum for, for kids that wanted to get off to the Ivy leagues. And, and, you know, I mean, every year one or two Nicaraguan kids are off to the Ivy leagues, um, you know, that have gone to the American school with that curriculum, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted our girls to be, uh, really not in that environment because again, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly conducive to the education we wanted for them. Um, we wanted them to learn in Spanish, but the, but the byproduct was they went to school with, with new money, middle-class, Nicaraguans. And so, uh, yeah, the girls are are definitely bicultural, bilingual or bicultural, trilingual uh, to the extent that they retain the German. I think the German is fading, but um, but but their Spanish is is you know dead spot on. I mean, we we uh, we watch TV program uh, every evening uh, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 15 year old daughter, uh, that's her Spanish class. We watch a Spanish language, uh, you know, TV show for 40 minutes a day. And, and, uh, and so she's keeping her Spanish. My older daughter is now out, but, but, uh, has Spanish speaking friends and they speak Spanish. And so, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they're fully retaining the Spanish, but the bicultural part's an interesting one. Uh, I think they, they really can move in and out of the, the Nicaraguan specifically Central American or even Latin American culture. Uh, with ease, it, it it it's like putting it's just for them it's like putting on a you know a comfortable set of clothes, right? For me, it's it's more like putting on a suit that doesn't quite fit very well, but I can get into it. Um, but for them, it's just another wardrobe that they can slip right into and 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 just meld right into the to the to the local culture. That their problem is is they're they're blondies. I mean, they're 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 both blondies and. Uh, they don't look <laughs> Nicaraguan, and they certainly don't look Latin American. Uh-huh. Um, but but uh, but if you dyed their hair black, uh, <laughs> I think they would they would pass for Nicaraguan. I don't think anyone would be able to tell the difference uh, that they weren't. Um, uh, yeah, that that's how culturally uh, uh, familiar, or I'm not even sure the right word. I mean, that's not the right, but, but how culturally integrated they are with with Nicaraguan. In, in Latin American culture, it's just fascinating that they were able to 
to develop two wardrobes that they can, you know, wear as easily one or the other. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's a, that's an addition. You can't take that away from them anymore. That's that's an enrichment that they that they just have in their fabric of their being, I guess. It is, yeah. but you know, there's it's like any it's like any coin, right? Or any you know, the, the, there's two sides to every coin, or you know, the the, the blade can cut both ways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of benefits to that, right? But you know, neither girl. There, there's a great book, and you probably know it. It's called Third Culture Kids, um, and it was written by a missionary. Uh, who, who, you know, traveled around, had his kids overseas. Uh, and we read that kind of early on in our experience with the kids to see what does that mean? You know, third culture kids. Well, a third culture kid is a kid that's not really, in our case, not really American mm-hmm. and not really Nicaraguan. Um, they'll, they'll always be somewhat outsiders in both countries. And, you know, our girls, our girls have never been, one of my girls has never been to a high school football game, right? And not that that's the be all end all. But, you know, most kids who go to an American education system go to a, at least one or two or or many, whatever, you know, high school football games mm-hmm. or a basketball game or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when they're off in college or they're or they're or they're dating later and there's a reference made to a high school football game, my girl's going to have a blank stare on their face. Right. They, mm-hmm. they, they're just not culturally American in that sense. Right. And, and there are hundreds of examples like that. Um and in Nicaragua, they, they didn't quite fit either. I think they can fit it. Like I said, they can put on the wardrobe and slip right into it. Um, but they're third culture. And what this book points out, among many other things, which is really fascinating, is that it's actually far more likely that my girls will end up marrying a German who grew up in in Japan mm-hmm. or, or a, a Filipino who grew up in South Africa, right, who is likewise a third culture kid right because that that third cultureness is the commonality that they would bring to a relationship and 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 this book talks about how that that you know tends to happen I, I it doesn't have to happen but but it's an interesting phenomenon you know uh that there is this third cultureness uh that you know, my girls will share with other third culture kids uh anyway so it's uh it, it is a blessing and it's a little bit of a curse. I think the blessings far outweigh the mm. curse side. Um, but I think we do have to be honest and say there are some downsides to it as well. Um, you know, they're, they're always going to kind of maybe feel a little bit like an outsider, you know, um, which, you know, again, it, it just it just comes with the package. Right. It's just yeah. part of the package. It's not bad. That's indeed. I, that's that's indeed not bad. Is there is there anything that that uh, either you or possibly less your kids, but you as being the the, the parents, the adults, uh, still still have difficulty with uh, dealing with uh, Central Americans or or Latinas or Latinos? You know, not not so much, Chris. We we uh, again, we, we, I can put on the I can put on the suit and it doesn't fit real well, but I I can roll with it. And mm-hmm. you know, I guess there are a couple things when I when I hear, um, maybe prejudicial is a little bit wrong, but when I hear prejudicial comments, it really rubs me the wrong way. Um, you know, that that somebody's not as good as somebody else because of their of of their status, maybe or their ethnic background. Mm-hmm. Um, that that really rubs me the wrong way, um, personally, right? I, I I don't believe that. I'm that's not who I am, right? Um, but but I do accept it as part of the culture, and 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 try not to be judgmental of it or the person saying it. I mean, I, and and that's a little bit of a challenge. I mean, that's a conscious challenge I have. Um, but you know, other than that, 
No, I, I think I feel really comfortable working there. I, I certainly feel comfortable living there, engaging, um, and and enjoy it. To, to be honest, I, I really like the I like the cultural elements that that you know. There's some you know, the strong family values, mm-hmm. uh, the, the strong what I would call basic conservatism. Um, is is very appealing in in many ways. It, it 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 holds the fabric of society together, I think, in ways that we're you know certainly now with the politics in the U.S. we're seeing a lot of fractionalization and polarization, uh, and and not that that doesn't happen in Latin America. It certainly does, um, but I think at the familial community level, uh, the fabric of society is is tight and well. Well, well knit, well woven, and and, and 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 it feels very comfortable to be in that environment. So, um, I I think with a couple you know small challenges that just you know I make a, a mental note of or a mental check of, uh-huh. um, it feels good. I I, I like it, okay. I, and, and and you know and and what I hear by the way from a lot of the folks who end up moving to one of our communities uh, who I know the best or people who just moved to the region where maybe I meet them at, at expat forums or I've met them and they, you know, they select a property that's not ours, right? But I still know them. Um, th- this, this warmth and this, uh, what I would call the, the community feel um, is powerful. And it is probably one of the things that pulls many North Americans uh, U.S. and Canadians to the region. Uh, the, the other is economics. I mean, it's just so inexpensive uh, to have a high quality of life uh, that that the economics are certainly driving people. Um, and, and maybe that's it. The economics drive the people. But that that warmth of, of personal relationships and community is probably what keeps people. I, I can tell you that it's what kept us. I mean, you know, I went there for work. Right. I didn't go there for economics, but I had a reason to go there and it was yeah. to get get our project started. Yeah. But but three years into it, you know, my wife and I went out to dinner and made a list of all the reasons to go back to the States and all the reasons to stay in Nicaragua. And the reasons to stay in Nicaragua went down one side of the page and onto the back. And many of them had to do with our relationships uh, with people and, and the quality of of those relationships. So, yeah, it 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 sinks into you. I mean, it, yeah, it, it holds, right? It's a good grip. It's like super glue, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, yeah, it's, uh, oh, well, for, for some, I guess for some people it clicks and for other people it's, uh, uh, it's, it's more difficult. And uh, to, to give you an example, I took my, uh, my youngest daughter and my oldest son last year, um, in August, they came to Guatemala. We stayed with a family. We stayed in a, fa- in a Guatemala, Guatemalan family. And what my son really found difficult to deal with was the, um, the on time or actually not on time behavior because this, yeah. this family would have to go out. Somebody would have to go shopping or have to go to their footteca just to play some football. And it's like, okay, vamos, vamos, vamos. And not, nothing would happen. And then 35 minutes later or 45 minutes later, still everybody was in the house and no, nothing ever moved. And he just, he just couldn't wrap his head around that. So sometimes this is this it gets it gets in the way. And um, well, he had a big problem with that, at least. Well, that that's funny. You asked me. You, you gave me a heads up, and I appreciate always to have a heads up, Chris. Uh-huh. You gave me a heads up that the last question you're going to ask me. Well, one of the answers goes right to what your son experienced. So anyway, uh, funny, yeah. But that's right. I mean, that is a that is a big one. And and you know, the other one that I find really. Uh, sends people packing maybe more than any other uh, is this uh, is the is the reality of poverty up close. You know, I think in in, in Europe and in North America, 
you know, I mean, there is poverty. It's around. But but, you know, we, we don't have to see it if we don't want to. I mean, it, it's not kind of in our face all the time. I guess if you live in an, a very urban area, you know, downtown cities, you, you probably see a lot more homeless than, than I do out here in the country. But um, but in in Latin America, I mean, you see real poverty up close all the time. Yeah. And, and I think that's hard for people who have a have well, I'm just say have a bleeding heart, right? Mm-hmm. That, that like every time they see a poor kid on the street or you know whatever a, a shanty, you know village with with tin shacks and you know and black plastic you know walls. I mean, it rips their heart out, right? Yeah. And if if your heart's getting ripped out like six, eight, ten times a day, you're not going to last very long. And and so I think I think poverty is a, is a tough one for a lot of folks, and it is cultural. Um, you know, my my recommended solution to the to the poverty issue is, you know, join the Lions Club or the Rotary Club or Kiwanis or a faith based organization. Get your hands uh, dirty, get to work and, and help make a difference, um, you know, in in that community uh, and and and, you know, see if that helps. But uh, but, but yeah, poverty is a poverty is a tough cultural you know, poverty up close. I mean, every place has poverty, but to actually be immersed in it, um, that's a tough that's a tough cultural impact for a lot of people. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. very much. Very much. Yeah. Um, I'm, As, looking, I'm looking at the time here, Michael. We're, um, we're about 35 minutes in recording here. Um, okay. I usually keep my podcast around around this time. So if it's if it's okay with you, I'd like to segue to um, a point you already made, uh, which is one of my last questions in terms of can you give us three tips on how to become more culturally competent? Uh, absolutely. Well, let me start with the first one because it was the the one your son. Um, right. You know, patience. Patience. Um, <laughs> there's a great saying: if you come to Latin America uh, without patience, you will learn it. If you come with patience, you will lose it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I think there's a, it's it's a no win situation, right? But but I think patience is important, and um, it, it's it's hard to you know it's hard to get there, but but. Um, I, I came up with a, 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 a kind of a, a, a it's it's uh, it's acceptance without acquiescence, and that that to me sort of became my motto uh, on the patience issue. Right? It was it was you know acceptance without acquiescence. Like I'm not going to give up on trying to get everyone out of the house to go to this soccer game. Right? Right. But right. but I'm not going to I'm not going to you know lose my mind over it either. Right. I have acceptance without acquiescence. So patience is one. Um, uh, humility is is another. Uh, I, I, I think that that being humble and understanding that that we don't know what we don't know. Um, and, and, and also this idea of assumptions that kind of come with our culture. We, we kind of need to forget what we think we know as well. So, you know, be 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 humble in our in our uh, approach. And just know that it will be different, and we need to, you know, listen more, uh, talk less, and 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 I call it, you know, put our radar screen, get our radar screen a lot bigger to to, to really just try to get a lot more input to to gain an understanding of you know, of what this culture is, uh, and then the the idea of acceptance there as well. And the third is compassion. Um, you know, once once we understand what this culture is. Uh, that it, that it might not be as fast paced or it might not be as time based, you know this this idea of you know compassion uh, or or conscious caring maybe is a better way to say it. Compassion might be a little too strong, but conscious caring of of what this culture is and then a respect for that, which comes out of this you know this compassion. 
Um, I think those are the three, uh, patience, cool. humility, cool. and compassion. Excellent, excellent. I've got them all written down. They will be in the show notes as well. Um, oh. Mike, if, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, yeah, e- email is the best. I'm an, I'm an old, an old uh, dinosaur. So uh, mcobb, M-C-O-B-B, at ecidevelopment.com. mcobb at ecidevelopment.com. Uh, love to hear from folks on on uh, any of these cultural things. It it is definitely a an area of extreme interest and study for me. And uh, I've got a great reading list, by the way. If if folks are interested in getting a, a reading list of of books that uh, I mentioned, one that the the third culture kids, but I've got seven or eight that I've read over the years that I think are absolute must reads for people interested in cultural cross cultural issues. And I'd be happy to share that reading list with folks. Perfect. Excellent. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again, Mike. Um, th- <clears throat> excuse me, taking the time uh, out of your schedule to be on this podcast. And um, I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Well, I look forward to it and, and possibly in Guatemala as we get something going there, Chris. <laughs> All right. We need to talk about that then. <laughs> yep. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.